And welcome back in Stripe Shield Podcast, another edition. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. And well, the West Coast Swing didn't disappoint as uh, Riviera never does. One of my favorite golf courses, one of my favorite tournaments, Genesis Invitational. And the California kid won it uh, down the stretch. Max Homa, goodness gracious, he's playing some great golf. We're going to get into that. Get into Finau, my boy, as you know. Uh, and I thought he was going to get across the finish line after that missed putt on the 72nd hole, but uh, he just couldn't get it done. And I figured, you know, no one better to help us break it down there as the uh, West Coast swing comes to an end. I know he's out there right now. Probably the sun is out, 65, and hopefully the winds have died down. Alan Shipnuck. Alan, thanks for joining me. I'm happy to be here. Actually, the high today is 64, oh. but we're uh, close. So it's a little frigid, to be honest. <laughs> A little chillier this morning, huh? but the winds are down, right? Was that was that unusual for, you know, the L.A. area for that kind of wind to just all, the, you know, just to come up like that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Santa Ana winds, uh, which is when it can blow hard, tends to be more summer in the fall. I mean, you just don't see wind like that very often in, in the wintertime. And of course, Riviera was not set up for it. I mean, they pushed the greens to the absolute edge, which made it fun but uh, as soon as, as soon as the, the the winds got above about 10 miles an hour they just they couldn't keep the ball on the green so it, it was unfortunate i mean uh, i guess the optimists would say hey we got some some great twilight golf on saturday and we got some some sunday morning brunch golf that we didn't expect so uh, they got tournament in and uh, it was it was a little bit of a footnote but for sure um the, the winds were unusual for this time of year yeah, I want to get to the genesis, but as you as you look back on this this West Coast swing, a lot has happened here. I mean, take a deep breath. It feels like, you know, Patrick Reed saga was about a two months ago now, and it was, you know, just a few weeks back. And here's Brooks comes in. He's back in the winner's circle. A lot has happened. What uh, you know, Max Homa went in there. Anything kind of stand out for you as you as you look back at the at the West Coast swing that uh, jumps out? Yeah, well, certainly you, you didn't mention Jordan Spieth, who uh, you know hijacked the West Coast swing for a couple of weeks, and uh, he's not all the way back, but it's encouraging. And of course, that's that's a big story. I mean, the guy was already a Hall of Famer by age 23, and so uh, if he can if he can get back to even close to where he was, that would be that would be a big boost for the, the sport. Uh, I think I think Brooks's reemergence is really important. I mean. You know, forgotten it. You, you're looking at almost two years since his last win, mm-hmm. and uh, all the injuries and uncertainty. So that's a big deal. I mean, he's he's the alpha out there when he's healthy. And uh, you know, seeing Tiger in the booth was a reminder of what we've lost. You know, he um, that sort of surprise back surgery, and he sounded a little downbeat about his immediate future. So uh, you know, Brooks, Jordan, Tiger, in some ways, are the keynote um, performers. But you're right. I mean. Patrick Reed scandal, the, <laughs> the, uh, the events of, of, uh, of at Riviera were memorable. You know, the, the Maverick McNeely, uh, Berger, pyrotechnics on the, the same second hole at Pebble Beach. I mean, that's going to be thought about for a long time. So it was a heck of a West Coast swing, uh, even with some of the top players, you know, getting sidetracked in Saudi Arabia, and the, the ongoing um, challenges with COVID. I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty darn good, uh, you know, jaunt to California, Arizona, Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. I, I wish they would play golf on the West coast every single week. So I could just watch primetime golf at night as I'm sitting there having a glass of wine. It's just fantastic. I love it. Um, yeah. 
And well, the courses are so great. I mean, yeah. it's, to go from Pebble and Spyglass and Riviera, um, you know, to Florida, uh, it's like you can have a worse <laughs> contrast. And, uh, you know, Plantation Course is so much fun to watch. I mean, uh, the West Coast just has so many great golf courses. I mean, you get to Florida, they all look the same and they're flat and it's just man-made lakes and it's it's really a major letdown for me as well you know you, you mentioned uh brooks he you know he misses what three straight cuts comes in plays the last five four under wins kind of stole that tournament a little bit in, in some regards and then you know Berger doesn't play well in waste management and then he shows up at at&t and looks like the man to beat just i thought not only did he play good but he just looked like he was overwhelming with confidence especially down the stretch which was impressive as you mentioned on the 72nd hole spieth you know waste management he's fourth and he goes stroke scan approach just under positive eight but he loses four off the tee and i thought at at&t was a better sign he drove it better his approach game was good and i thought at the genesis for the most part kept it in front of him as well and that's all he needs to do is just keep it in front of him so it's gonna be exciting to see how spieth now kind of builds on that momentum but one of the more consistent things unfortunately is tony finau finishing second uh, or in the top 10 he's got three worldwide starts now in the last three worldwide starts he's finished second and you know i'm the biggest tony finau fan my audience knows that and you know i pull for him i want him to get that second win um and and you look at the opportunity that he was given on the 72nd hole home and missing that putt i mean max home is going to miss that putt once out of probably 400 times you know and and he and he missed it and here's now Fino. He has this chance, and he can't get it up and down um, from really a relatively easy spot on 10, probably the best spot to chip it from. And, you know, I'm reading the comments. Peter Costas on Twitter says that, you know, basically Fino just needs to get his putting figured out, where I'm looking at it like, man, I think he's a better putter than he ever has been. He makes eight birdies yeah. and shoots 64, two better. Is it To me, it's just all situational with Fino. I mean, it's just... The pressure's on to win. You've got to hit the shot. He struggles with it. How do you see it? Is yeah. it putting or is it more than that? Well, it's everything. I mean, even back up to the 72nd hole, you know, he, he only has a sand wedge in and he misses the green. Doesn't even give himself a chance at, at a winning putt. You know, after, you know, Homer had just had just he had a even more club in and he stuffed it. It's like, you know, it's a make or break shot and, and you don't even put it on the green. It's like, oh man. And then you know, the the putt on number 10 in, in the playoff, that's not an easy putt, no. downhill slider. But it was su- it was such a defensive stroke. You didn't even get it to the hole. I mean, like, you, you can't lay up in that. you got to jam it in the hole, and if you leave yourself three feet coming back, then deal with it. Like, you got to make that you, – you have to putt that to win. Uh, you know, he's obviously – he's – and then, and then you, you go to the par three for the next playoff hole, I mean, that pin is barely on the green. It's like three paces from the edge. You can't miss left. You just can't miss left. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you're hitting first. Like, it was, that was just such a, a snap hook. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, was just, it was like, you know, you got you to gotta just put it 10 or 15 feet right of that flag and take your chances. You cannot open the door like that. And so it was really three holes in a row he just didn't execute. And it's a shame because he had played such beautiful golf. I mean, Sunday 64 Riviera is, is epic, especially in those conditions. Mm-hmm. I mean, best round by two. And so, you know, the, 
and let, let me just say that I love Tony Funau. He's like the best human being on the planet. And like everyone else, I, I think he's, he's a great person and I'm rooting for him. So I'm, I'm not critiquing the man, but just the player. Like you just, you can't, if you want to win a tournament, you got to go out and win it. And you, you can't play defensive in those, in those, in those moments. And I think that's really what it's come down to is uh, he's a hyper-aggressive player until the moment of truth. And then there's, there's just a little, there's just a little fear. There's, there's a little caution. And the other guys are just, there's just too many, there's too many players who are firing at the flag and just pulling the putts in, in crunch time. And mm-hmm. if you want to win it, you got to go out and take it. And he just has not quite learned how to do that yet. Statistically, his putting has been trending nicely. I mean, he's, yes, he's changed his grip a couple times, but he, he's a better putter today than he has been. Um, his strokes yeah. gain approach. And that's where the, the stats can skew you a little bit. I mean, there's stats and then there's crunch time, right? And there's, I want the ball sure. in my hand and, you know, the prolific winners like Tiger and DJ and, you know, guys, Patrick Reed, when he gets in the hunt, he, he clips him off JT for the most part. So, you know, he's just, you know, in the crunch time, the situation, and it's not just his putting, it's, there's a little bit of everything in there. That's where I, I kind of push back on. It's not just his putting because there's a lot of shots that start to go awry. Um, and, and we saw it at waste management a year ago, you know, Alan, he just had a birdie one of the last five holes. That's, that's one of the easiest closing stretches on the PGA tour. And he pours yeah. them all and he opens the door for Webb. and some people, like, Oh, well, Webb just beat him. No, he didn't. It, there's two par fives there. I mean, Tony has to yeah. make a birdie. Tony has to make a putt. Tony has to leave the ball in the right spot at the right moment so he can yeah. walk through. So it's frustrating. It really, really is frustrating. But as an analyst and judging the player and critiquing the player, I think it's fair assessment. And I think it goes well beyond uh, the putting. And the guy that, of course, beat him uh, was Max Homa, who has really, you know, is kind of, Alan, the opposite of Finau in that Homa can be a little inconsistent where Finau rattles off 37 top uh, 20 or top 10s since 2017. Next closest is 16. I mean, that's a huge gap. Here's Homa. He'll rattle off four or five missed cuts, get a little momentum, and then win. That's what he did at Wells Fargo. That's kind of what he's done here as the West Coast swing comes around. He's kind of that inconsistent player, but then when he gets it, he goes and, 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 and figures out how to win at Wells Fargo and figures out how to win here. Uh, California kid, that'd be pretty cool, right? You live in Cali. That had to be a, a good story for you and others there to, to see home and get it done. Well, for sure. I mean, and golf Twitter was just pulsating. I mean, everyone knows that, you know, Homa's in deep with, um, with golf Twitter. And so there was, and people love Finau, so there was a lot of energy in that. Yeah, in that final round for sure, and no doubt people were pulling hard for him. And that LA connection, and the fact that he used to go to Riviera as a kid to watch the tournament and dream about it. I mean, it's it's quite cinematic actually there in Tinseltown. Mm. Um, but you know, you are you are onto something. I mean, there, there's kind of been this Max Hon tour that you, you know you'll make eighty percent of your money and twenty percent of your tournaments, and that that's kind of been a, a formula for a long time where the players you get hot and you got to ride those weeks and you have to take it deep when you're feeling good. And, you know, home is a classic example of that, you know, whereas Finau is just playing at such a high level, but uh, maybe that's a detriment. He's like, I can do this every week, you know, whereas a guy like home is like, you know, he wakes up feeling dangerous and he knows this is my chance. And so he just keeps attacking and keeps going. 
And uh, but yeah, there's a difference in mentality. And uh, I mean, it's what makes sports so fascinating is you um, can't you can't take an X-ray of the soul. I mean, it's the mm. the thing things you can't see: the heart, the guts, the brains, the balls. I mean, that's what separates athletes at, at the highest level. And so, um, but, you know, when you talk about Finau, it's like the guy came out on tour. Just hoping to scratch out a living, and you know we all know his his hard luck upbringing came from mm-hmm. nothing, and you can imagine this first few years when he's in contention that he was just trying to protect his spot, like because you know to make a check for for sixth place was was monumental given where he'd come from, uh, and uh, you know and you can't fault him for that. I mean, the to to grow up dirt poor and all of a sudden have a chance to to get a top five finish on the PGA tour. That's life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but so, you know, you wonder, did you get in that habit where it's just like, it's just that protect your spot kind of mentality. And I think now, as you say, is the, the top 10, the top fives and all the money stacked up. He's in a different spot. And I would love to see him have some of that, that home of grittiness and just be like, I'm going to get this done no matter what. And even if that means I, you know, I, I, I go from second place to 11th, who cares? That's, it doesn't matter now. It's like it's only about the trophy. And I, I think maybe he'll develop that. I mean, um, but it was funny. I was talking to someone about um, they were playing with Mickelson at Pebble Beach. And he was like, um, you know, eight shots off the lead. And they're, they're playing 14. And he hits two balls out of bounds. And now, he's, now he misses the cut. This is on Friday. And they're, they're walking down 15. And I was like, you know what? I felt like if I could make a, I could make an eagle there, I could get myself back in the tournament, and get myself a chance to win. And instead, he missed the cut. But like, that's that mentality. The only thing that matters is winning. Twentieth mm-hmm. place doesn't matter. Eighth place doesn't matter. Like you're playing to win at all times. Obviously, it can blow up on you, and it has, it has plenty of times on Phil. But um, you know, there's you, you need that. And Tony's now in a place where he's financially set, and he can, he can sort of embrace that attitude. And, Kind of like Homa too. It's exciting to think, you know, you, you win your first tournament and that, that's huge. But the second really is validation. You know, you didn't just have one hot week. Like you are now a multiple PGA Tour winner. And, um, you know, the ball striking he displayed on Sunday all day long, even with the restart, was was just spectacular. And I think now you can elevate Homa from a guy who's an intriguing prospect and kind of a curiosity to a big-time player who – is a threat every time the tour goes to a really elite golf course. And like, mm-hmm. that was a, it's a major upgrade for him as, as a player and where he is in his career. And, you know, to, it's like, it's the worst nightmare in golf is to miss a short putt when everything's on the line mm-hmm. and for him to shake that off and get it done. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And um, so I think this will be a real springboard. And um, it's interesting how different players, what, what social media does for them, you know, it did not help Ian Poulter at all. I no. mean, he was already a lightning rod and he brought a lot of negative energy into his life and has never been the same player. Uh, but I think a guy like Homa is like just surfing on this, this tsunami of goodwill and uh, people are rooting for him. And that's a powerful thing in, in a sport where you don't have any teammates. And, um, you know, when you when the fans start coming back, I mean, he's going to be one of the biggest stars on tour. Like, I, I remember seeing a, a Twitter exchange between just uh, just a couple of random golf fans who I didn't have any connection to, but I just kind of stumbled upon it. And they were this was pre-COVID. They were going out to to an event, talking about who they were going to watch. And 
one of the guys like you know i don't care about rory i don't care about dj like i i feel like they're in their own little universe i don't know anything about them but you know i'm gonna go out and watch homo because mm-hmm. i feel like i know the guy and i'm invested in his life and i care about him and that was really interesting kind of uh light bulb moment like uh you know, same with, with uh, Joel Damon, some of these guys who are just very real and raw and open on social media. Um, that's what the fans want. And it gets people on your side versus sort of the corporate, distant, uh, synthetic presence that a lot of the top players have. Uh, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, for sure, you can you can hurt yourself like a Grayson Murray or, <laughs> or a, mm-hmm. an Ian Poulter, but uh, you know, Homa by just being a, a good dude with a sense of humor, who's kind of fun and doesn't take himself too seriously, has, has created this, you know, this sort of army behind him. And you, you could feel it yesterday when he's in contention, and it's gonna, it's gonna serve him well the rest of his career. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I actually had that. I was kind of segue into my my next question was, you know, he's not a headliner, um, but you're right on social media. Um, he has a good following. Um, he's He's, you know, authentic and real and, and he's, he's funny and he comes across in a good way. He's, he, he's good at it, right, in the, in the Twitter world. And, you know, so then you look at, you know, he's, you know, he kind of chums it up with the, the no laying up guys, the foreplay who have a big audience. And so is he, you know, the question is, is, is his impact, is he speaking to the core savvy golfer through those channels or is he having an impact that's even beyond that? And I think I agree with you, like that conversation you were saying with those two people, I'm going to go out and watch Max. It, it, it really is an impact. I think well beyond that, that he's building his own, um, he's building his, his own crowd and they're coming out to watch Max Homa, not Rory McIlroy. So that's, it's really interesting in the reach and the voice. And when used properly, um, it, it really works in a very nice way, not only for Max, but the entire game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's powerful and the, the the media landscape has changed so much and uh, you know Homa has just been in the right place at the right time and you know you meant he was he was always kind of pals with the no laying up guys and um, as their platform has grown it's amplified Max's voice and uh, you know and now he's got he's got his podcast with Shane Bacon who's taken on a bigger role in the golf media and, mm-hmm. and you know Shane is unabashedly Max's biggest cheerleader, and um, but it, it all it all starts with the fact he's just a fun guy to be around, and he, uh, he's a people person, and uh, you know not everybody could pull that off. You know, I mean, like um, Tiger's a bad example because he's Tiger and he, he's bigger than all that. But you know, he's an introvert and he doesn't like right BSing with people and he doesn't like reporters. Like a guy like Tiger Woods could never pull this off because it just wouldn't be authentic. It, would, it starts with the person and who they are, and you know. Max is a smart guy with a sense of humor. And um, so it, it takes the right personality, but, you, you know, it's kind of in the right place at the right time from a media standpoint. And it's definitely, it's definitely effective. I mean, uh, you can, you could just feel the energy of, of people rooting for him and, uh, and it made it fun. It really did. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, golf Twitter was more fun than CBS yesterday. Uh, you could have not even watched the telecast. You would have known every shot, mm-hmm. and li- you would have been living and dying with uh, everything that was going on between Max and Finau, because both of them have have you know a a big chunk of uh, you know supporters and people who are invested in their life and career. Um, 
you know, literally it, it, it was more fun following it on Twitter than on the telecast. So um, that's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a look at, at where, where things are going. And, and I think most of us now as sports fans already are on two screens, mm-hmm. um, but with certain players, it's, it's the phone in your hand becomes more important. <laughs> and it, that's a, that's a sea change in how, how we all consume and interact with sports. But I mean, I don't want to overstate, you know, Homa's, you know, Arnold Palmer revolutionized golf on TV. I don't think you can say that Homa's going to have the same impact, no. but it's definitely, um, it's, it's noteworthy what, um, you know, where he is at this moment in the context of the entire sport and how it's, how it's covered and talked about. Let me ask you about this Sam Burns. I predicted at the beginning of the season, he was going to win this year. Um, I've been following him. He was an LSU kid. I had his coach on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, Brad Pullins, his name, who a lot of people don't know a lot about him uh, in Louisiana, just outside of Shreveport. And um, they've been a good team. And they've and he's coached him since he's 15 years old. This is a guy who has the power game, has the approach game, and he can put the lights out. You know, his short game gets a little iffy, but he's looked good here in the last few weeks around the greens. He he's got the complete package. I. I, you know, I, I wasn't surprised him being in that position, you know, really for the first time with a lot of big names breathing down. And he had the lead the whole time for four days. So, you know, he's sleeping on the lead a ton. That is not easy. I thought he handled himself well. You know, he he looks really, really good to me. And if he can just keep doing what he's been doing, continue to sharpen up a little here, a little there. there the short game, okay, it could be a little bit of a weakness at times, but I mean, Alan, if you got distance and you can win in the approach game and you can make putts, you can win golf tournaments on tour, even with the mediocre short game. Oh, I mean, he was impressive. There's no doubt. And it was funny because he sort of, especially on the front nine, he like out DJ DJ as far as yeah. just that jock swagger <laughs> and that that total nonchalance. Like, I mean, he was strutting around like the guy had, you know, 20 career victories on the PGA Tour. And it was fun to watch. I mean, he, he had a presence and... Um, he had a vibe and I've been really enjoying it. <laughs> I mean, it was a little unlucky, honestly. Like, I mean, just if you start at Riviera when it's playing like a racetrack with a two stroke lead and you go out in 31 and he only increases lead to three. I mean, he, you would think you go out in 31, you're going to be up by four or five and have some more cushion, but you know, guys were just playing really well behind him. And, um, I think he played absolutely perfect golf, but he, he could never quite, break free i mean three strokes is is significant but um you know he was heading the teeth of the golf course and um so you know he made a few mistakes no doubt but i I thought he handled himself well and for a guy who really hadn't had a chance you know that was basically the u.s open i mean Mm -hmm. that that's going to be better than what we're going to get tory pines um with the leaderboard and the conditions and so you can say that was his first dip in a major and he he uh he held up pretty well and uh, I agree, it's going to be fun to see where he goes from here. And, yeah. uh, but I, I really enjoyed watching him um, out there. Just, just the golf was was excellent. But uh, it was, it was just what he was projecting was 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 kind of cool. It wasn't. Yeah, it, it's not defensive golf. The heat with him, like he's. I don't. When he gets in it again, I don't think you're going to see Sam Burns go. You know, defensive like we've seen with Finau and others. It, it. I think it's just a check and the learning curve and being like, hey. I can walk with DJ. He's the number one player in the world. He don't, he doesn't intimidate. He, he can hit it just as far as DJ. Um, and yeah. you know, so approach game solid. 
his putting, he can go. I mean, this is a guy that, this is a guy that strokes gained putting at waste management was positive 11. Like that's just insane. Um, yeah, at the that, Genesis last week was positive six and a half. I mean, this kid can really roll his putter and roll the ball. And, and he's got in his, in his off the tee game and approach game is on point. So yeah, I, I just, you know, it's easy to say, Oh yeah, he's going to win. You know, it, I really truly believe he will win and have a great career. And I, and I, and I still think he'll win this year. Let's do some rapid, rapid fire here. You, you mentioned tiger who didn't look or sound very good to me um, on CBS. Uh, what percent do you give him teeing it up at Augusta? <laughs> it's a small number. I'd say okay. 10. Really? I'd yeah. say 10. Uh, I mean, you know, it's we're now less than two months away, and he's not even swinging the golf club. Mm -hmm. And you know, Tiger has, as he's gotten to this sort of late period, really, I mean, say starting in maybe 2014, even, um, he's been playing the long game, and I, I he's not one to rush back for one event um, and compromise the rest of the year or the rest of his career. I think. He's learned the hard way. He just has to take it slow. He has to listen to the doctors. He has to be careful. You know, it's, um, of course, he wants to play the Masters, but, um, you know, Torrey Pines is a place where he has some history. I think that would be um, maybe more of a realistic target given where his body is. And he's just not, he's just not going to push too hard. I mean, I, he kind of said in his own comments, yeah, he doesn't have any wiggle room left. I mean, his mm -hmm. back is, is, reconstructed and it's held together by paper clips and bubble gum and there's there's just nothing good about rushing it where he is in his life and career so yeah actually i'm gonna, I'm gonna lower i'm gonna say it's one percent mm. uh, for, oh, for augusta man but it's such good um, energy in this podcast up to that point one <laughs> percent oh man but you know he's, he's essentially the defending champ at tory pines uh, yeah. when the u.s open returns and that, that's a big deal and mm -hmm. um you know, as far as these full circle moments with, with Tiger, you know, we, we sort of already got it when he won his fifth green jacket and got back to the mountaintop. And so we can't be too greedy. Uh, I mean, even even that Masters win was was a huge bonus. And anything from this moment forward is, I mean, it's beyond the cherry on top. It's it's it just becomes more and more improbable. Uh, and even, gosh, when you look at everything that had to happen for him to win that Masters. And everything that's followed, it becomes more and more miraculous that it happened and mm -hmm. he got it done. And he, he gave us that moment. He gave himself that moment and his kids and everything. It's just, uh, I, I think we have to accept that that's probably the victory lap. And if he gives us anything more, it, it's, we don't deserve it. And, <laughs> yeah. um, if, if you take that view, then you don't have to worry about any particular, you know, masters or us open or whatever. Cause uh, we really, we really got more than we deserved, and more than probably Tiger thought was possible. So, uh, I, don't, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I just, um, you know, I mean, you probably saw the memes. Like he didn't look good on TV. No. Like, he looked like he was on, like on some painkillers and some other stuff. And you, you have to worry, given, you know, Tiger's uh, history yeah. with that and the DUI and everything. So, um, you know, the glassy eyes, and he he was very curt in his responses and. He just didn't look either fully engaged or maybe he was in pain or yeah. maybe he just, you know, didn't want to be there because, you know, for Tiger to beat a golf tournament he's not playing in, it probably feels a little weird. So it's hard to know exactly what was going on, but I agree. It was not a, it was not an appearance that inspired confidence in any way. No.
What do you know about concession? Where we're going here, first round here in Florida, in Bradenton, playing the WGC there, of course, not in Mexico this year. It's in Braden, Florida. Do you know anything about the concession golf course? Yeah, it's hard as a mofo. I mean, it's it's one of those courses that that uh, was built with tournament golf in mind and um, sort of that macho, build me the hardest golf course you can because I'm overcompensating for some other inadequacy in my life. And mm. it's, it's just, um, it's going to be tough. It, uh, water and hazards everywhere. It actually, it's a little bit like, like sawgrass. It's, mm. There's a lot going on on every hole. Okay. A lot of movement, a lot of hazards, uh, a lot of architecture. I mean, it's cool. It's gonna look great on TV. It's gonna be a terrific test, and it, it's gonna um, it's gonna exact some punishment. So I, I think it'll be cool. It, it, it's a neat place. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of Jason Day has played out of there, and Azinger plays there, and um, I remember I remember talking to Azinger about it. He he said, uh, you know, it's a big boy golf course, and uh, that that's given that that's what the course has always wanted to be i expect they're going to push the the tour guys to set it up as hard as possible and they're going to have it's going to be it's going to look like riviera as far as green speeds and mm. um so you know whether that's good or a bad thing as a spectator um and as a player uh, i think that's just how it's going to be and then it, it'll be it'll it'll be a, it'll be a great test and i, I think it'll be it'll be a good it'll be a good venue yeah so when i hear that so, man, I'm thinking that kind of everybody's in play there. It's not going to be the complete bomber like you hear a sawgrass, uh, you know, like there's you give the Matthew Fitzpatrick a chance at a place like this going up against like he did last week. You know, you can hold your own at Riviera because, you know, <laughs> there's you got, you got to do a lot of things really well. You just can't overpower Riviera. Right. So is it kind of the same at concession, do you feel like or a little more of an advantage with with the length that. 74 to 75 it sounds maybe they'll play it yeah um that's a good question i i think riviera as, as you said you have to you have to slot your ball into some tight places mm-hmm. there's a little more room to operate at concession so okay um a, a freewheeling player might have a, a little bit more of an advantage but it's definitely if you get out of position at all given how firm and fast the greens are and how much trouble there's you know bogeys in play always mm-hmm. so i think um I think a good comp is, is sawgrass that you see all kinds of different winners and, okay. uh, you know, I mean, length is an advantage at all times at every golf course, but I think, I think concession, it'll, it'll be a, an interesting leaderboard for sure. Okay. Well, sounds good. Al, I know you're, uh, you're busy. I really appreciate you, uh, jumping on here. 25 years, sports media, sports illustrated, golf top golf.com. And, and now 30 minutes on the stripe show podcast. How about that? <laughs> I, it's, talk about a cherry on top you know this is like my 2019 <laughs> masters right here I, right. I, this is my victory lap Every, so. it's all gravy from here it's like tiger we appreciate it all you know <laughs> yeah it was, it, was, it was fun thanks for having me yeah, thanks all right have a have a good week we'll talk to you soon let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at encore golf encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs. Use of high-density particles and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero, X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game 
for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 